Welcome back to the Reading Blues podcast, the place where we find out more about the school and to connect with staff, pupils and parents at a deeper level. Each week we'll be interviewing people within the school community, asking them questions and spending time understanding more about them and more about the school. In this episode, we speak to Kevin McGill, Deputy Head Staff Development. He's from South Wales, and boy, you'll know that from this episode. But as well as hearing about life further down the M4, we also hear about the different roles he's taken on at Bluecoat, his teacher training and development, and how it feels for him seeing students off when they reach the top end of the school and they fly the nest onto their next step. But we also find out what the Mumbles Mile is. You'll need to see the episode through, though, to understand what that might be. So let's explore the world of Reading Bluecoat through the eyes of Kevin McGill. Kevin, thank you for joining us on the Reading Blues podcast. I'm looking forward to talking to you today about life at the school. But first of all, how are you doing? Yeah, pretty good, thank you. I, um, I've actually come into school. It's uh, Saturday afternoon. It's not great weather outside um, for May, but then, you know, being a South Walian, May and temperatures of about 11 degrees and pouring with rain is about normal. <laughs> so so you're from South Wales, is that right? Yeah, that's right. So born and brought up in uh, in Swansea and, and then my adult life has been spent outside of, uh, of Wales and then predominantly most of it in, in, in the Reading area. So how old were you then when you left Swansea in that case? Well, 18, going up to university, you know, like you did in those days, it was, uh, you know, on the train. It was none of this uh, sort of, you know, parents packing the car and driving uh, you you off to university. I, I went to a London college, so actually going up on the train was far more uh, far more convenient for everybody and sort of really haven't returned on any permanent basis um, since leaving when I was 18. So where did you study in London? Tell me more about that and what did you study there? Yeah, so I studied at King's College London and mm-hmm. um, I studied philosophy and theology as a joint honours degree. Yeah, I mean, I, again, at that particular time, it was interviewing for all your main uh, university choices, which was a really exciting thing. And, and I think when I went to, I'd, I'd, I'd attended several interviews now, I, I just remember going to London, it was round about near Christmas time. And mm-hmm. so December anyway, and um, walking up the Strand to King's College, it just felt like a really kind of stimulating place to be. Met people in the departments and, and, and loved it. And mm-hmm. uh, that was me. I decided then and I just needed to get the uh, the A-level results to go there. And do you remember what A-level results you needed to get there? And do you remember what you also achieved to get there? I needed, I think, it was. Well, I mean, this is kind of old currency, really. But, you know, I think an A and two Bs and got that. So, you know, that was, okay. that was, that was all right. And then when you left King's, it sounds like you left the London area as well. Did you move straight to Reading from the London area? Um, no, I, um, uh, after King's, I studied as a postgrad in uh, um, Swansea, mm-hmm. writing an MPhil, but it was um, a research-based master's degree. And uh, I wasn't at home in Swansea necessarily all of that time that I was studying there. But I, I went to, I, well, I wanted to work with a particular philosopher who mm-hmm. was um, um, sadly passed away, but he was very well known and still is well known, um, particularly for his interest in a philosopher called Wittgenstein, who was, it still is my favourite philosopher and probably the biggest philosophical influence on my thinking so that was m phil um and that took um two years to complete and then did you come straight to blue coat from there <laughs> no slightly circuitously i um <laughs> i sort of decided after the uh, m phil that i wanted to do something different and i i went to work i was on the graduate training scheme at, at lloyd's of london okay and um i actually applied for it i i, I had probably little idea what lloyd's of london 
and the insurance markets were about sounded like it was quite different to studying philosophy and theology anyway and mm -hmm. gave it a go and then by some strange miracle having gone through about four rounds of interviews they offered me a job and I did that for about 18 months realized it wasn't quite for me <laughs> and then I started uh, I, I moved from there to Bristol to do a PhD. So you're definitely hugging that M4 corridor there's no doubt about it is there? Oh no! I break out in a sweat if I if I if I can't smell the M4, then I'm just you know I'm I'm, not, I'm just not I'm not myself at all. You must be very familiar then with Lee Delamere Services, Membry, and all of the other ones. Magor, is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you wouldn't believe. I mean, I can close my eyes and walk into those places. I know my way around, you know, without yeah, blind. Okay, let's bring it back to Blue Coat then for a moment. I understand that you've worn various different hats at the school yeah. during your career there. Which hat are you wearing at the moment? And tell me about some of the other hats you've been wearing. Yeah, so at the moment, the hat I'm wearing is Deputy Head Staff or mm -hmm. Deputy Head Staff Development is probably a more accurate term for what I do. Mm -hmm. I've been doing that job. I think this is the sixth year I've been doing that job. And then working mm -hmm. back kind of chronologically, I was Director of Sixth Form um, okay. for three years. And prior to that, I was Head of the Religious Studies Department here, Head of Year 9 as well for a period of time. And then going back to the beginning, I was a trainee, well, after PGC, I, I completed my NQT here. Uh, and I quite quickly, by circumstance more than anything else, became the head of department. So that, that all happened fairly uh, early on in my career, um, which was, I, I mean, fortunate, I felt for me to have that experience quite early on. So tell me more then about the current role that you're doing. I mean, how does that impact school life? How does that help the students at the school? Yeah, so really, it's um, it, it's it's it is staff focused. I mean, there's no question about that. But of course, in providing opportunities for continued professional development and training and development of staff, mm. of course, that will then have an incremental in impact on the school community as staff feel they have opportunities to mm. um, to to progress and to develop in their practice. We have um, a staff learning research group here, which is um, run by one of my colleagues, Mike Justice. And, and again, kind of having a little bit of input into that means that, you know, we have a staff that are, I think, and I constantly engaged in looking at ways that they can improve. And any improvement that a teacher makes is going to have a benefit for the pupils that are in a classroom or a laboratory with them. Now, a little bird tells me that you're one of the first people to achieve an accreditation by the Chartered Teachers Institute. Is that right? And tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, it is. I, I think in the end, I, I remember this with myself and a colleague um, who's head of biology here. We, we were part of the pilot scheme. I'm fairly sure that the pilot scheme started with, 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 with an, uh, about 150 um, teachers. By the end, I think it was about 90 that graduated. I mean, the, the teaching profession has always had the charter, the royal charter to award chartered status, but never really had the, the kind of organization to kind of put it all together as part of a professional training program. Chartered College of Teaching was able to do that. And the pilot program was... I, I was thinking possibly at the time about something like a master's in education, but I felt that it was not really school focused enough or blue coat focused enough. And, I, and when I read the outline of what the um, chartered qualification involved, it, it would allow me to be much more focused on what was happening here at school, conduct some fieldwork, conduct some research that hopefully then would kind of benefit the school in some way. So does this help the school with regards to things like teacher training sessions for newly qualified teachers as well? Yeah, I, I mean, in the sense that it, it, it really provided me with the opportunity to brush up on my pedagogical knowledge. 
to me, teaching is a little bit like driving. You think of all the effort that you put in at the beginning to learn how to drive. And then, you know, after about a year or so, you, you kind of forget that sometimes you do need to keep sort of re-engaging and improving. And I'd sort of got to that point. I wasn't reading perhaps as much educational literature as I wanted to. And okay. I found that the, it's called C-Teach, that qualification allowed me to really sit down, look at some bang up to date um, educational research, and then reflect a little bit on how my practice perhaps should change in accordance with the best research that was out there. So I can feed that back into uh, teachers that join us and in the early stages of, of their career, for sure. You relearn the importance of remaining reflective as a teacher. I think if you ever lose that, I'm not sure if the job becomes harder, but mm -hmm. it, 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 it just means that perhaps you're not getting everything from um, a teaching role that you could potentially get. So if you look at a newly qualified teacher and then look at them say 30 years in the future when they've got lots mm. of experience of teaching and then if you gave them the opportunity to time travel and go back and talk to their newly qualified self what do you think most teachers would tell themselves I'm just trying to think about people who are newly qualified how how they can be as effective as possible in their job by listening to their future selves now if you know what I mean yeah, there's a couple of, I mean, there's a couple of things that I, I think, you know, be consistent mm -hmm. a bit because pupils respond to that. I mean, they, they respond to consistency and fairness, but you know, you don't want that consistency to become boring, but it, it's just mm -hmm. a point, you know, they're trying to predict a little bit how you're going to behave in the classroom as much as you're trying to predict how they're going to behave. Uh, okay. Yeah. So I'd say that that's, that that's really important. I mean, enjoy it. I mean, enjoy the challenge of it. It's nerve-wracking when you start teaching, but it's an, an incredible thing. There's studies that show that, you know, teachers, when they're in the classroom, have this heightened sense of awareness. I mean, much like, you know, somebody who'd be involved in, you know, professional sport or something like that. It, it does kind of get to you, but, you know, you've got to enjoy that. It's a buzz, I think, uh, mm. when you're teaching. And probably the last thing is just stay nimble and responsive mm -hmm. to what's happening with the pupils in the classroom itself. Mm. I think you've got to listen. I, I listen probably more now than at the start of my career when I probably talk too much. You know, listening to pupils very carefully, trying to understand what they're having specific difficulty with and addressing that is definitely the way to go. Does it take quite a bit of effort for a teacher when you talk about staying nimble to keep things fresh and to not just do the same thing year on year with their year group or with their subject oh yeah yeah absolutely you know if you think say you go away as a teacher and, and say over a summer holiday and you put a whole collection of resources together for a new unit of work that you're going to present in the autumn term you know it takes a lot actually to realize that you know maybe the resources that you put together hadn't quite worked the way that you wanted them to work. Mm. And it can be heartbreaking sometimes because you think, oh my God, I, you know, I, I am going to have to change this. I'm going to have to go back, not to the drawing board necessarily, but just tweak things a little bit. But that, that's, that again, it's part of the fun really of, 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 of coming up with an idea that mm. you think will work. It's really going to be disastrous. I mean, it, but it might be that, you know, you've got to kind of think and be sensitive to the fact, is it actually working the way that I want it to work? Hmm. And I'm lucky, you know, I, wor I work at a school where, you know, my colleagues have very high standards. You know, they're not going to settle for the middle ground no. and just keep delivering the same old stuff over and over again. And I think all of us want to operate that way. And then what you see from the pupils when you operate that way is that they're stimulated. They are sitting there kind of half, you want them half thinking, like, I wonder what 
he or she is going to do today. That level of anticipation, I've done a bit of research into this in, in terms of the kind of science of this, is really exactly where you want the pupils to be. You certainly don't want them walking into a classroom thinking, I know exactly what's on the menu today mm-hmm. and it's all right. You know, it's, 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 there's nothing wrong with it. Mm-hmm. You want them to be a little more uncertain and excited than that. And how does this lead to higher job satisfaction in members of staff at the school? Well, I mean, it, you know, it, it can be a double-edged sword because the workload is quite prodigious. And working at a school like Reading Bluecoat, it's not obviously just your job in the classroom. You'll have responsibilities with the co-curriculum, with the pastoral work that you're doing. But I think we're lucky. I mean, I, I there are many reasons I, I love this school, but one of the reasons I, I really love it is that you know, when I'm teaching, I do feel like I'm able to kind of have an impact and make a bit of a difference. Hmm. And, you know, when, when you're operating that way, you know that the pupils are appreciative. Getting that feedback from pupils, I mean, there's nothing like it, really. It, it, it makes it all, you know, very worthwhile. And don't get me wrong, I'd be, I'd be naive to say there aren't days where, you know, you, you might be kind of, you know, banging your head against the wall <laughs> because it hasn't just quite turned out the way that you wanted it to. Mm. But, you know, I was I was taught this in training. I had a brilliant uh, mentor at Bristol, um, mm-hmm. a lady called Mary Dadley or Deadly Dadley, she was called. <laughs> and she just made me realize, you know, you, you know, that, that idea of you've got to brush yourself off, you know, the next day's a new day. You don't take a bad day into, or if it's a Monday, into Tuesday. Tuesday's a new day, even if you're seeing the same class. Mm-hmm. You didn't have a good lesson with the, uh, the day before. Doesn't matter. Start again and give it your best shot. And then at the end of the academic year, is it quite hard sometimes to see some of the students leaving, knowing that they've spent many years in the school, you spent many years teaching them, and, and now here they are sort of flying the nest almost? Or are you more excited about where they're going to be going and what it means for them? Yeah, I, I, I think it's more of the latter, to be honest. And, and also, you, you feel like you, you've done your job well when you know you've got them to the point that they're ready for the next step. Hmm. I think the, the, you know, the, the, the only ones where it, it's slightly worrying is you feel that they're quite, not quite ready or they don't quite know what the next step is for them. But by and large, I was a sixth form tutor for a number of years and, and, and obviously did the director of sixth form job here at, mm. at, uh, at school. I, I took, you know, really probably quite selfish, vicarious pleasure in seeing them apply for their university courses and the excitement that that brings or applying for an apprenticeship and, and seeing somebody really bravely taking a slightly different route into the next step of their life. And I, I, mm. I, 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 I love that. I still do. Okay, let's switch it up a little bit. I'd love to find out a little bit more about Wales and you, Kevin. So tell me what some of the best things are about Wales. Well, definitely the beaches. <laughs> I was lucky to um, be brought up the Gower beaches near near Swansea are beautiful. Uh, it's where I proposed to my wife. Oh, lovely. Joe's ice cream. I don't know if, you know, I mean, if anyone's ever in Swansea, you've got to have a Joe's ice cream. It's the, mm. it's just the best ice cream. Mm-hmm. How can I put it? You, got, you, you spend time in somewhere like um, Swansea. There are some characters, <laughs> all sorts of people, you know, all different kind of, you know, ideas and stripes of people I've met in Swansea. And mm. 
I think that kind of mixture of personalities I've always loved. And if I mention the Mumbles Mile, is that is that is that a good thing to say on a podcast <laughs> episode like this? I I know it well. I I've I've known it through its various iterations. I mean, um, when you go to the Mumbles now, it, it's virtually obsolete. It doesn't mm-hmm. really exist anymore. For the sake of people listening, can you just explain what Mumbles Mile is? Yeah. So the Mumbles Mile is a series of public houses that starts at the bottom of Newton Road um, with a place called the White Rose. And if you make your way down the Mumbles Road from there, you can visit, if you choose to, several hostelries that are very friendly (laughs) and they can serve you beverages. Certain kind of refreshments. Perfect. Certain types of refreshment. Yeah. Excellent. (laughs) Um, Yeah, but it's it's very, it's changed now. Um, A lot lot of restaurants. When I was growing up there, I mean, um, the university students a lot lived in Mumbles and Mm -hmm. and they would be um, out of a weekend. Now the students are, well, the the, the new university site is the other side of town. Mm -hmm. And it's it's the town centre that the students go to, not, not Mumbles. So Mumbles now is fairly quiet. Okay, so apart from Wales, where else in the world would you like to travel to? I'm going to pretend for a second that COVID does not exist at all. I've been to Peru in in, in South America, oh, and wow. I, I, I'd love to go. I'd love to go back. Mm. Probably top of my list would be um, Japan. I'd love to go to Japan. I have a particular interest in Buddhism from an academic and teaching perspective. Mm-hmm. And I know you can encounter Buddhism um, in countries other than, other than Japan, but I would love to go to Japan. And um, I've, I've sort of got my eye when we're all somewhere near normal again in terms of what we can do and travel, um, a sort of a walking holiday around Fuji um, oh. and visiting some um, monasteries along the way. That does sound amazing. That's something to look forward to when lockdown properly ends in that case. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it, it, you know, if it happens, it happens. I, mm. I, you know, we'll have to wait and see. Well, look, we need to bring this to an end in a moment. But if anyone's heard anything and they wanted to get in touch about anything you said, what's the best way for them to reach out? You can go through the Reading Blue Coat website. I mean, there'll certainly be a main contact uh, telephone number there. But I'm more than happy for uh, anyone um, that's wants to take the conversation further to contact me on my school email address, mm-hmm. um, which is kjm at rbcs.org.uk. KJM as in Kilo Juliet Mike at rbcs.org.uk. That's correct. Well, look, Kevin, thank you so much for your time. It's been great talking to you. It's been great hearing about Wales. And uh, thank you very much for your time being here today. My pleasure, Simon. Thank you. And that was Kevin McGill talking about life at school through his eyes. Kevin, a big Welsh thank you from me for your time on this episode. Now, don't forget, you can contact Kevin directly by emailing kjm at rbcs.org.uk. And also, don't forget that our next episode is coming out soon. So be sure to follow this channel. And it just means that when the next episode is released, you'll receive a small notification just to let you know so that you won't miss it. So look after yourselves for now. And in the meantime, we'll look forward to seeing you in the next episode. Bye for now.